0: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com/save. sonobello.com/save. sonobello.com/save.
1: Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Own radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Guilda Wiaka, X-1 Dimension X. Four zero one zero zero eight zero to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365.
2: back to the Ask Dr. Gibbs radio show on XZoneRadio.net, XZBN. My show aims to, dis, uh, to address a pressing need which is hardly touched in most radio programs, which is to provide answers to questions which appear to defy adequate solutions. I have five topics, maybe I will add additional as we go on, but the five topics which seem to defy good answers are a method of helping people who want to manage their anxiety, depression, frustration, and stress, and other so-called negative feelings without using medications for the most part. The second interest is preventing and treating the widespread epidemic of heroin addiction sweeping the country. A third area is a proposal for enhancing the training of police and citizens alike and effectively intervening to de-escalate potential violence. A fourth issue is answering essential questions for those people considering entering some form of psychotherapy. Questions include: When does a person become a patient? What is the best therapeutic method for um, entering therapy? How does psychological change come about? How long do I need to be in it, and so forth? When is it finished? For the first three broadcasts, I've been concentrating on exploring the fascinating topic of the nature and uses of meaningful coincidences, commonly referred to as synchronicities. In this connection, I invite all of you to please look at my uh, URL on Facebook, which is Ask Dr. Gibbs, and or my website, drgibbswilliams.net, and if you have some questions, uh, please I encourage you to ask them to me and write out um, write them out. And in subsequent programs, I will uh, try to get to as many as I can. If you wish to write me personally, uh, I can be reached at gwilliamsny11 at aol.com. In subsequent programs, one beginning next week, I intend to interview experts in the various fields which I've mentioned, and for the, my first guest uh, will be Dr. Bernard Beitman, who has written a current bestseller on synchronicities called Connecting with Coincidence. should be a good program, so I urge you uh, to tune in and invite your friends. Today, I want to continue describing how I came to be attracted to the intellectually challenging and emotionally powerful subject matter of meaningful coincidences As I said, they're uh, commonly referred to as synchronicities. If you're new to these broadcasts, I invite you to go to YouTube, plug in my name, Gibbs Williams, and look for my first three broadcasts, Ask Dr. Gibbs. It'll give you a good overview of the uh, subject matter. Those broadcasts describe what a synchronicity is, how a synchronicity differs from a meaningful coincidence, What stimulated my interest so much that I've been researching this complex and amazing topic for the last almost 50 years? You might look at Amazon for details about my book called Demystifying Meaningful Coincidences, which summarizes my journey in the very interesting world of synchronicities. In the last broadcast, number three, I was describing my failures in my obsessive search to find what I believed were absolute answers to ultimate questions, such as, who am I, what do I want, what's my life's meaning, if there is a life's meaning, how do I know it, and how can I make myself whole and the likes? It was obviously no coincidence that when I got to Columbia University and I had to major, I chose philosophy as the only one that really um, seemed to address this complex topic. I indicated that majoring in philosophy left me feeling overwhelmed with what I referred to as psychological overload Uh, that was largely due to the great amount of excellent material by authorities in the fields of interest that I most resonated with, including speculative philosophy, depth psychology, the esoteric occult, including such pathways as astrology, tarot, Kabbalah, teachings of Ouspensky, Alice Bailey, and the likes, and spirituality, especially the famous mystics, and finally scientific method, which all appeared to be in touch with what I refer to as a pathway to capital T Truth. My problem was that I couldn't quite settle on one or a few that seemed to make the most sense. They all seemed to make the most sense. And since all of them came at it from somewhat different perspective, uh, you can't embrace everything simultaneously. So I felt myself getting increasingly more confused, and I reached a uh, major impasse. I guess what I felt was that too many cooks spoiled the broth, and I further learned much later on that I had to be my own final authority, and that I had to synthesize the best of uh, what I was learning – and try to formulate my own theory. We will continue on in a few seconds.
0: Aloha, and I'll see you in mystical Maui.
2: Welcome back to the Dr. Gibbs show, Ask Dr. Gibbs. I indicated that when I reached this kind of intellectual impasse, out of being overwhelmed with uh, too much meaning or too much knowledge, I had also entered two different therapies to try to sort out my troubles. And unfortunately, from my vantage point, even though they were good therapists and I tried real hard, uh, the truth of it is that that particular therapy or those particular therapists were really not from me, but I didn't know any better. So that I essentially felt as if I failed after six years, twice a week. And I was still as what I believe was messed up after the therapy as I was when I entered. Though, I, though feeling that way, I pressed on and continued to look for what I believed was, hopefully, absolute truth. At this point, I found myself uh, experiencing what I call the lure of the occult. It was largely um, discovered as I discovered a bookshop next to um, Bloomingdale's in Manhattan, which was called Mason's Bookshop, Occult Bookshop. And I met Mason, who was a real character. I told him my interest, and he said, let me introduce you to some uh, high-level esoteric occultism. And he introduced me to people like Ospinski and Alice Bailey, if you know these people. And also, I said I was interested in astrology. He said, here, take this book. You'll be able to construct your own charts, and then uh, at your pleasure, um, read them and see what you think. I indicated last (coughs) broadcast that I did some experiments and did a major experiment on Wagner, who I knew nothing about except that I liked his music and I read um, five definitive biographies, but first constructed five uh, charts and uh, synthesized them and uh, then used the uh, biography material biographical material to check We all have that friend
3: who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in this is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is
1: us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. ba da Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, to opt out.
2: Uh, Readings and discovered that uh, it was uncannily uh, accurate at which point I Started to do everybody's chart. I must have made a hundred of them With the idea of purposely debunking this I really I thought this was very fanciful and um, I learned in um, philosophy that um, uh, People there's a sucker born every minute and that all sorts of people who are good-natured will try all sorts of um, theories to um, try to break through to uh, esoteric wisdom, and it's largely nonsense. But as I did each one of these charts, I couldn't help believe uh, this doesn't seem to be nonsensical. It seems like really interesting material. That then, along with my interest in the esoteric occult, was parallel with having met some very interesting people who turned me on to spiritualism, And I attended the First Spiritualist Church of uh, New York, which met in the Insomnia Hotel on Sundays. And uh, I was able to meet some extraordinarily fascinating people. Among them was a psychiatrist who uh, privately went into uh, trance and believed that he was dictating uh, poetry from Freud and Jung and other such really uh, remarkable people. And I felt like, um, gee, finally I was in league with um, though obviously offbeat people, um, maybe this stuff was really pretty mainstream and I should change my attitude to what Freud had described as the black mud of occultism. Don't forget that they had made had a major uh, meeting, Freud and Jung, and among the um, important aspects of that meeting was a quite important uh, differentiation in perspective with a major synchronicity that both were sharing. And out of that difference, um, I don't think it was necessarily uh, the main thing. They were splitting because of other factors that uh, Jung and Freud, part company, though they communicated uh, in the letters, which are very interesting, for all practical purposes, um, Jung and Freud had a major um, breakup. It was at this point where... Uh, Jung had a major breakdown and during the course of the next four or five years, he was um, a mess. And in his mess, he was able to dive deep into his interior and uh, actually formulate or create the tenets for his radical theory of psychoanalysis called analytic psychology, where out of that, came the infamous Red Book and his uh, Radical Theory of Synchronicities. With the lure of the occult and spiritualism, this led me to the first seance or consciousness-raising group that I indicated uh, in some detail last um, broadcast, where I was already pumped up by attending this interesting phenomenon that I had read about but never attended and in the midst of it I had some really spectacular experiences and it was uh it set off a chain of synchronicities that started not only with what I observed in that seance but also upon leaving I had indicated to somebody that uh I asked the question are miracles um, for real And I got the advice that when I went home, I should, if I had a copy of the New Testament, which I did, open the page and uh, just say the first thing that comes to mind, and it'll be the answer to my question. So with some degree of skepticism, I went home, I opened up the uh, Bible, and the first thing that jumped out of my mind's eye was the raising of Lazarus, which was clearly a miracle. That prompted me to call the woman that I was sitting next to, whose granny glasses I had seen in a vision, and I started to say to her, boy, I had a really interesting coincidence, and she stopped me, and she said, "Um, well, first let me tell you mine, and I said, fine, and she said that during that day, that very day, she was walking through the park with her obviously unconventional psychiatrist, the guy who went into trance and uh, revealed poetry from Freud and Jung, who had said to her, That in a past life he was at the raising of Lazarus. Well, putting together all this stuff made me shiver, and what do they call the proverbial hairs on the back of my head were raised, and I got really um, uh, addicted, I should say, to uh, spiritualism, and not only the phenomena, but the implications that. I realized all you have to do is make one assumption—that there is so-called absolute knowledge—and you can have ex- you can have um, a pathway to absolute knowledge through one or more of those occult things like astrology or tarot, and/or attending spiritualist classes or what have you. And if there, if the world indeed is spiritualized, then these different ways or pathways of making a connection with what Jung called absolute knowledge. And those words were important to me, because don't forget, I was looking for what I hoped was absolute answers to ultimate questions. And I thought, well, therapy didn't do it. Uh, Philosophy didn't do it. Um, Spiritualism and astrology and so forth, the occult, promised maybe, just maybe, here was something to investigate. I threw myself into it, hook, line, and sinker. And that um, lasted until I also had indicated that as I went on, I was in it for about two, three years, I started to get suspicious and distrustful of um, various people and concluded that even in the land of spirituality, there was still politics in the worst sense where I had a crisis of um, trust And I started to find that my interest waned, and I thought that what I was involved with was a bunch of hooey, and I was left with the same impasse that I had when I um, ended my therapies. So I was stuck. And this idea of being stuck, or this phenomenon of being stuck, I have later discovered is, I think, what psychologically uh, starts off the... um, Process that eventually leads to synchronicities. They they start in a in a um, place where the person who's going to have a synchronicity feels overwhelmed <clears throat> by not being able to uh, free himself from this these kinds of impasses. And synchronicities, I believe, occur at a point where, if your attitude is to find answers to these impossible questions, it initiates a process, I, I think a creative process, of which I believe everybody has their own. And if you follow that process, eventually you will amass clues which will eventually form a pattern which can be interpreted or will have take the appearance of a synchronicity which still has to be decoded. More of that um, next week or the week after. It's also important that I had started and maintained a journal, which would be peppered with significant major coincidences, 19 in all, for the next 15 years. And I wasn't quite sure why I collected them, other than, you know, the feeling. If you get these things, they often feel amazing, and they seem to defy ordinary rules of logic, and you scratch your head, and you think it's improbable that I should be thinking of a girlfriend of 20 years ago when the phone rings. And guess who's on the other end of it? You know, things like that. Those are sort of small, but they're bigger ones that really um, you just can't help but be amazed by them. And that led to my increased interest in not only collecting these things and bathing in what Jung calls numinosity, the feeling of the uncanny and the feeling of something really special, extraordinary experiences in the usual flow. A very unexceptional um, and sort of, you know, middle-level experiences, which which we generally have in life. This led me to immerse myself in the literature of synchronicities, of which there was no question that then and even now, the majority of the reading and the interpretation and the uh, theory building and and exposition is essentially that of Jung and his followers. Uh, there's a couple of important books, I think, if you're interested in this, that I would um, suggest you get a hold of. Uh, one of them is, is uh, Jung's autobiography, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, which outlines how he became interested as a child in coincidences and eventually what led him to his radical theory of synchronicities. Another one which details his particular theory is called An Acausal uh, Principle, um, which I suggest you pick up. The, if you want a very basic book on synchronicities and a good introduction, get a hold of Kessler's The Roots of Conne- uh, Coincidence. It's an excellent book. As a reaction to my doubts, but sustained interest in the subject matter, I started to seriously research the subject. And so, as I said, that involved, uh, that, that meant that I would have to read everything I could on the, uh, of the literature in synchronicities and so forth. I wrote a num- down, as I was doing this, I wrote down a number of reasons why this subject matter sparked my interest, which uh, you can see listed in my book. We will have to uh, take a pause here and we will return in a few seconds.
1: Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365.
3: Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything?
1: Financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome back to the Ask
2: Doctor Gibbs Show. Uh, as we left off, when I was uh, indicating that I had immersed myself in the literature of mainly Jung and his followers, and in his book, in his bu- great autobiography, Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, you see a very keen interest that Jung, as a boy, had in these kinds of mysterious phenomena. He was, uh, thought he was in the presence of ghosts and poltergeists, and he had seances with his sister, Uh, and he mentions a few very important synchronicities that he had, which captured his attention and expanded his, intensified his curiosity, and uh, it's important to note that he was a follower of Freud, and he knew what psychoanalysis was, and he had a private practice in which he was Essentially, practicing um, the psychoanalysis, psychoanalytic theory, uh, advanced by Freud. And it's important to note that Freud's major uh, finding of symptoms of, of people who came in complaining of various uh, psychological symptoms that they all had a similar root, which was a failure to resolve. What for him was a universal phenomenon of an Oedipus complex for males and an electric complex for females. And he believed that if you could get to the, the um, childhood experiences of kids via dreams and free associations, that you would connect with what he believed was the personal unconscious. And the personal unconscious was really the place where he felt that the, a person's absolute truth resided so that the so-called talking cure was encouraging a patient to just say what was on their mind and that ultimately, if they were direct and honest enough, there would be certain themes that would start to emerge, which indicated that people who were suffering from neurosis were all headed childhood impasses over issues primarily of sexuality, not only in the narrow sense, but in the wider sense of reaching out and connecting with people and keeping loving and not being swayed by problems of ambivalence and so forth. The, he kept on in this vein, practicing Freudian analysis, until he began to feel that many of his patients, which were, who were over 35, didn't really seem to be hung up on issues of sexuality, that instead, virtually all of them seemed to suffer from complaints of emptiness, and though many of them were successful in pragmatic and um, external terms, they seemed to be successful, they all seemed to suffer from an absence of basic meaning and um, complained about their whole self being uh, a collection of various selves which were often in a, in a civil war with each other. So this was a really, this was an entirely different point of view than Freud, and actually the two of them were talking past each other. Freud really was dealing with people who are hung up at around three years old when the triangle between mother, father, and person, patient, gets stimulated, and, and indeed for many people, and this is really true that they do suffer from an unresolved Oedipus or electric complex. And for them, Freudian analysis was often the treatment of choice. Whereas Jung was really talking about a different set of problems. Unknowing to each one of them, he was really dealing with problems as far back as year one, which is remarkable. That's called pre-Oedipal experience. And it's remarkable by virtue of the fact that kids don't talk until they're about Two. So how are you going to get to what ails them if they can't communicate in words, and concepts? Well, his particular brand of um, psychology found a way to connect with this area of experience. And it was largely a reflection of his own problem that in his breakdown, he was able to uh, dispense with Freud because he felt it just didn't work. It didn't apply to him and really invented as all great psychologists do if if they've exhausted um attempts to heal themselves with what's currently going on at least some of them if they keep persisting and they're smart enough and can bear the um uh self-analysis they invent their own theory and of course most of them do the same thing they 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 believe that if they've been successful that everybody in the world must suffer from the same thing so they make an overgeneralization that their way is the only way or the best way and try to seduce everybody into um, Jungian therapy, as Freud tried to do it with Freudian therapy and so forth. It's also important to note that there are about 365 different therapy approaches and that um, all of them, all the therapists who uh, practice those must be getting paid for doing apparently good work. And one of the chief questions that one should ask when they, if they're approaching going into therapy is what approach is best for me, and as we could continue on, I will try to give you some guidelines as to how to see if you can make the best fit. Ultimately, the highlights of Jung's theory are that he was a Platonist, and you will see if you study this, um, uh, the theories of synchronicity, or the um, way that synchronicity is developed and expands, is to see it in the light of an ongoing historical dialogue between uh, philosophers such as um, Freud was essentially um, Aristotelian and Plato uh, fits Jung or Jung fits Plato. And if you know anything about the history of philosophy, you will know that they're making different assumptions about the nature and the knowledge of reality and how do you acquire that reality. So what I'm really suggesting is that Jung's theory, as all subsequent theories, are based upon fundamental assumptions that people make or that researchers make with respect to various knowledge bases. The, the various knowledge bases that I think are critical in understanding various theories of synchronicity are speculative philosophy, depth psychology, the esoteric occult, spirituality, and scientific method. Others may feel that you can add other things like mythology and archetypes and so forth into the mix, but I think those five areas, those five knowledge bases are important. The importance of all that is that my research has validated the fact that different primary assumptions in these various knowledge bases are going to lead to different organizing concepts which are used as filters of experience to make sense out of the raw um, data of each person's life which will then lead to alternative theories of synchronicity which when applied will lead to different interpretations and different ways of utilizing these um, extraordinary events. Uh, I hope what I just said is not going to discourage people. This is I'm able to sort of glibly say all this in a couple of minutes you must understand that it's taken me r- r- roughly 50 years to get a grasp of all this stuff and it might be asked of course why bother what what's the point you know what's in this all a bunch of intellectual fluff and why can't you just take these amazing events and react to them however you want to react and so forth that's fine enjoy yourself that's not the way i was constructed i said that there are five different perspectives or attitudes with respect to anybody having these things. One is simply collecting them. They're amazing in and of themselves. If you go to the Synchronicity website on uh, Facebook, you will see that most people are fascinated with simply describing their most important synchronicities. And they're, they're interesting. There's no question about it. They're quite amazing. The second is that there's a feeling that tends to go along with these experiences that Jung calls numinosity. And uh, various um, authors describe it as a kind of a glow in which there's a profound sense of atonement and special meaning and a feeling of um, cosmic consciousness or a connection with ultimate experience and so forth. So it's, it's, it's a, a sense of being in the midst of whatever anybody calls spirituality. Now, of course, part of what I've discovered is that words which are commonly used, such as spirituality, which you think everybody knows the meaning of, when you start to really concretize, what are you talking about? At least for me, I know what spirituality was. It's of the spirit, but what's the spirit? It seems you, you can't see it, but it seems to be there. And you get my point. So I think a serious investigation or research in this area forces a person to define concretely, what are you talking about? In that connection, a uh, researcher who was a famous chemist, Antoine Lavoisier, uh, wrote the following, which I think is extremely pertinent with respect to anybody who's really trying to understand the nature of synchronicities. He says, every branch of physical science must consist of three things the series of facts which are the objects of science, the ideas which represent these facts, and the words by which these facts are expressed. And as ideas are preserved and communicated by means of words, it necessarily follows that we cannot improve the language of any science without at the same time improving the science itself. Neither can we, on the other hand, improve a science without improving the language or the nomenclature which belongs to it. Translation. Different assumptions about those knowledge bases are going to lead to different or alternative concepts which can be used in in a theory to make sense out of what seems to be absolutely nonsensical. Jung had in his practice a number of people who brought in uh, an increasing amount of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. And at first, though fascinated with them, he wasn't clear what to do. So he collected these things. He was filled with numinosity. Then he particularly was interested in the implications, which tended to lead to some kind of transcended spiritual realm of experience. And then he started to theorize what are the implications of these implications, which led him to add new nomenclature, new words of viewing the same old material, which eventually resulted in his particular uh, iconic theory of synchronicity, which we will go into um, uh, soon. Among the patients that he had was a woman, which I had mentioned, who um, had a dream the previous night to her therapy, which had her being given a... Golden Scarab, by a man in which she was um, filled with um, excitement, had no idea what this was all about, but comes into the session the next day, her analytic session, and as she is relating this uh, interesting dream, Jung hears a tapping at his window, and being a botanist, was able to realize that the tapping at the window was caused by a beetle – that had the title of Golden Scarab. he opens the window, pulls out, uh, clasps the um, beetle in his hand, gets up, walks over to his patient, hands it to her and says to her, here is your Golden Scary, at which point we will take a pause and we will come back in a few minutes.
1: Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold.
2: Welcome back to the Ask Dr. Gibbs show. I want to emphasize that Jung who was pumped up in having this incredible experience, which he refers to as the most important synchronicity of his life, which in characteristic Jungian fashion, he um, says later on that there were others that were equally compelling, but at least this started the show off, and uh, it was big, big time. Now, it's important to note that Jung, who recorded, has voluminous notes on practically everything he said or did or thought about has only a couple of paragraphs with respect to what he believes was this momentous occasion, this scarab synchronicity. His patient, as I had mentioned um, in a previous broadcast, was a fairly uptight woman who suffered from Jung's point of view with too much animus, uh, meaning too male, and she needed to um, relax and be more female-ish. And she was rec- she recognized that there was a problem, and they had reached an impasse in the therapy where nothing was happening. And he reasoned that she needs some kind of radical experience, like um, some kind of radical, um, not surgery, um, shock, shock treatment. And he's actively considering all of this when she brings him in this dream, and he has this um, his own synchronicity when, as she's talking, golden scarab the tapping at the window is this golden scare reap. He gets up, hands her the thing, says here's your golden scare. And what he, in this paragraph, brief paragraph, he indicates she was probably shocked, that, not out of her mind, into her mind, and that it made, presumably made a major um, uh, breakthrough in the treatment and presumably leads to success. Now, in my research, I am inclined to be skeptical of, A, why does he only lend a paragraph to this most momentous uh, iconic occasion? And two, in my practice, I'm aware that um, I used to feel that people got major breakthroughs every other minute. Well, that's not true. They do occasionally have a breakthrough, but it is usually the result of, um, I don't know, 25, 30, 50 analytic sessions where they suddenly have this kind of insight, both intellectually and experientially, and there really truly is a breakthrough, forgetting that it's more like a root system that has to uh, start with a seed and then progress to springtime when the flower opens up. And you see the flower, and presumably that's the breakthrough, but forgetting that there was a whole process of having planted the seed and letting it you know, create a root system. So I became very skeptical. However, there is no doubt in my mind that that synchronicity was a shared synchronicity, and whether his patient really benefited from it or not, or was excited for the day but lapsed back into her own symptoms the next day, which I suspect, for Jung, this was a really major breakthrough. At the time, he had isolated, um, or he had bits of his theory, which were all sort of floating around, but he hadn't been able to synthesize them. And as a result of this particular momentous experience for him, he was able to fit them all together into a pattern that validated for him that he was on the right road with respect to his synchronicity theory and spent the rest of his life um, investigating it and researching it and adding bits of uh, new theory and so forth. So it was momentous for him. Um, Now, as a scientist and as a follower of Freud, He was also aware that if he writes this stuff out, he's going to be – on. he's going to really open himself up to great attack by the Freudians, Freud himself, and anybody scientific. Because what he did was to conclude that – well, let me me give you the structure of of a synchronicity, make this clear – that all synchronicities are different, but they all have a common structure. And, this, and the structure is that you have an internal event that is, and an external event that seem intimately related by meaning, and that they happen simultaneously, but they seem to be uncaused. Now, that's, that's very important. If they're uncaused, then you can't, you can't use science as an explanation. So he concludes that a science of synchronicities is virtually impossible because you need to have scientific method applied to this phenomenon or you can't validate it, you can't experiment, you can't um, verify that the um, results mean anything. So what he did was to say, all right, obviously these things are very impressive and linked together by an equivalence of meaning and simultaneity and throws out conventional causality as an inadequate principle, linking principle. Well, throwing out causality is absolutely saying to Freud, you and your crazy ideas are nonsensical, and that there are greater forces at work in the universe than your, um, not exactly lowly, but incomplete scientific method. You guys are too intellectual, you're too heady, and you leave out half the experience of what makes meaning in life. Like, for example, you're you're, you're omitting an interest. Well, first of all, you're saying coincidences either don't exist or they're meaningless, and that you're just um, fooling around with, uh, you know, astrological occult things, and you're getting uh, carried away by this fanciful fantasy stuff. In addition, you are not only throwing out causality – but you are um, absolutely irrational, and you don't, you don't let in, or Jung would say, you don't let in experiences which everybody has that they find extremely important, like the role of luck, destiny, synchronicity, maybe karma. And there was a whole load of stuff that people feel is extraordinarily important. And that is omitted from a Freudian interpretation. Jung posits three anti-causal arguments, of which the first one is method. He said that there is no scientific method which is able to pin down these like firefly flashes um, uh, happenings. And if you can't pin them down, you can't experiment. If you can't experiment, you uh, uh, you don't have a science of synchronicities. anti-scientific. The second and third arguments have to do with the problem of meaning, that causality is implied in the traditional view of making meanings, where you have at least a little space of time between something that happens and then something else happens that may be similar, but that you have to be able to pin them down with that space of time. And since they're seemingly, they happen simultaneously, You can't pin them down. The same with simultaneity, that these things seem to happen almost together, so there's no way of using scientific method to make sense out of them. And concludes, this is the key to this, Jung concludes with this radical conclusion that a a scientific understanding of these amazing events not only is not rational, you can't you can't uh, think of something that's rational. In in uh, Jung's point of view, you can't even imagine that it would be possible. So he throws out conventional causality as a linking principle and comes up with this rather radical notion uh, of a causal connectedness. That is a radical leap. Uh, he quite rightly... Uh, understood that Freud was going to pin on him the criticism that he's really fooling around with. It was getting enmeshed in the uh, what Freud calls the um, black mud of occultism, and creates for all time this ongoing, powerful uh, argument or dialogue between the Platonists, Jung, the Aristotelians, scientific on the other. And it is within that dialogue that I think initially I straddled the middle. And as I continue to research, I think what I found is a third way, which takes into account some of the insights of uh, certainly of Freud and some of the important contributions of Jung and may have found a third way, which combines the best of both yet to be proved. In effect, what I saw was happening as I did this over decades, I can't believe it's decades, over decades, is that I was paving the way, I thought and think, is truly a way of viewing or proposing a science of synchronicities that indeed can be studied using conventional scientific method, yet to be shown. What my research is really doing is taking Jung's seemingly irrefutable three anti causal arguments and saying that, contrary to what his belief is, his dogmatic belief, I might add, is really a um, bias toward, and short sightedness uh, based upon uh, limited critical thinking, and that my research of which my book on demystifying meaningful coincidences is what I believe a successful rebuttal of his three um, major uh, arguments or uh, causal, anti-causal arguments. In so doing, I realized that as I was researching that I was raising more questions than providing ultimate answers. And it was, answering each of these questions in turn that led to eventually my um, radical theory of synchronicities, which we'll take up in further broadcast. It was a pleasure. I hope you will send in your questions um, to me, and I'd be happy to um, answer as many as I can. Thank you for listening. Please invite your friends.